This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. Hey, my name is TJ, and I'm one of the pastors here. Man, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, you know, I just want to, before we, we really dive into today, man, I just want to give it up for all the people that went out yesterday and, and volunteered at Collier's, or at uh, SOS Children's Village, man. And we can give it up for, with those guys, man, real quick. Come on, let's give it up for them. Man, we... It was so much fun seeing all of you guys out there just, just loving on some kids and foster care and, and playing football in the rain. I mean, rain did not stop y'all, and so it was just awesome going out there and just seeing how jacked up the staff were because they were telling us that a lot of times people say that they'll volunteer, and there's like it gets cloudy, and they don't show up because they think it's going to be bad weather. But uh, what I love about our church is it's, it's a no matter what attitude, no matter what's going down. If there would have been a hurricane yesterday, y'all would have showed up and served some people. So I just want to give it up for you guys because that was awesome 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 and so anyways hey we've been in this series called empty promises and we're actually ending it today and so um, you know over the last couple weeks we've been talking about how in life there are some things that seem to be empty promises in life and we've been talking about this whole idea that when we find Christ we have this perception that all Jesus wants to do is kind of come in and modify some of our behavior when we find Christ in our lives, that maybe he just wants to come in and clean up some areas of our lives and maybe just tidy up a little bit. But the reality is, is that Jesus didn't just come to to edit our behavior. He came to absolutely radically change our heart. But yet so many times there are some things in our lives that are keeping us from letting God be number one in our lives. There are some areas of our lives that we're saying, hey God, you can have all this, but this area back here. Uh, I'm just going to kind of keep that off limits. In fact, I don't even really want you to view that part of my life. And we've been talking about those area of our lives of what we call idols or idolatry. It's anything that we put where God should be in our place. It's making something other than God our ultimate. And so many times in life, we have these things in our lives that have become our ultimate and we don't even recognize it. But what happens for most of us is when we think of idols, we think of a little wooden statue or, or some sort of thing that we put up on a wall. And so we don't recognize that we have these things in our lives, but all of us are searching and trying to fill our lives with different things that we think will help bring significance and meaning to our lives. I mean, we just think to ourselves, man, if I have this thing in my life, I will have value. If I acquire this in my life, my life all of a sudden will have meaning and purpose behind it. You know, we think, man, if I I can just get to this place in life, then finally I'll be significant or I'll have security. And what happens is, is we, we think that if we get these things, that it will bring something to our lives that yet only God can fulfill. And what happens is we've talked about some different areas of our lives that we think, man, if we get these things and what the world tells us, if we have these things, then we will have value. We will have significance. We will have purpose. We will have meaning. And so we've talked about um, our appearances, man. If we have this appearance, if we put on the facade, 
God, then everything in life will be okay. We've talked about the, the approval addict and just getting the approval of others. Man, if we can get people to like me, you know, then everything will be good in life. We've talked about finances, man. If we can just get money in our lives, if we just had a little bit more money, you know, that would solve 99% of the, the problems that I have. You know, some of us, it's the whole accomplishment thing. It's, it's what I do is who I am. And so we think, man, if I can just do more, then all of a sudden I will be something. And we've been told all of these things over and over and over again in our lives. But as we've pursued these things, as we've grabbed hold of these things, we realize at the end of the day that they are still empty, that they are some meaningless things. And, 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 you know, and I'm not sure why we buy into those things, but for some reason we do. And, and as we've talked about them, you know, this hasn't been like an exhaustive list of everything that can be an idol, because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but our heart is kind of an idol factory. I mean, it'll just produce one idol after another, after another, after another, and after another. And, and thinking through this and, and just wondering, how, how can I close this out? I mean, what is the thing that probably the majority of people deal with and, and that's really prevalent in our lives. And, and I don't think that there, there's probably um, any of these that's probably more powerful and, and more uh, destroying and, po and, and, and potent in our lives. And it's probably more addictive than this idol of, of power that comes into life. And, and, and I read an interesting article this week by a guy named Nick Blinkley. And he was the vice chairman and a member of the Bank American Board of Directors. Um, and so, I mean, he was a, he was a pretty, pretty legit guy. He had been pretty successful in life. And he was forced to resign from his position at Bank of America being in charge of this, this conglomerate. And, uh, and this is what he, he said um, when he had to give up that position in life. He said... To be a public figure and perform at a high level requires an intensity that produces a caffeinated high. And I know all about that because every week I drink about a, a cup of coffee or a pot of coffee before I get up here. And the caffeinated high that you're on is ridiculous. If you've never tried it, I don't encourage you to do it. But if you do, it will change your life. And so uh, he said, when you leave such a position and that level of activity ceases in your life, it is almost, as Brinkley put it, like a car going from 90 miles an hour to a dead stop instantaneously. The adrenaline rush ceases, and there is this visceral psychological reaction. In addition to the change in activity and intensity level, there is also a change from being the center of a universe of people fawning over you and, exceeding, and heeding your every request to being a, a mere normal person and never in the limelight. And we think, you know, power only exists you know, for people that are CEOs of companies or people that are in positions like this. But, I, you know, there's this possession that that's all that that exists in. But I want to tell you something. You know what? This, this idol of power exists, you know what, if, if you have friends. This power, this idol of power exists if, if you have a spouse. This idol of power exists if you have a job or maybe you have some people working under you and if you definitely if you have a spouse you'll find out that this idol of power exists because you all are vying for that number one position in your marriage because you're like i want to be in control um and, and so we might not recognize it we might not see that it's an idol that's in our life but it's something that's there all the time because all of us have this need for purpose all of us have this need for significance and we think so many times that power is the thing that's going to give us that in our lives and so what i want to do is the same thing that we've done over the last 
four weeks. And that's, I just want us to evaluate ourselves because I think that there are a couple areas that if we look at, we will, all of us, almost all of us identify some areas where maybe this has creeped up in our lives and we haven't even recognized. And I think in particular, there's two kinds of areas that if you look at in your life, if you start to recognize, you'll see that, man, this idol of power has come in and it started corrupting. It started replacing something that only God can give you. And so we're going to kind of self-assess. And the first thing that I want us to look at to see if this idol of power is in our life is if we have a tendency to avoid failure. Now, I, I know that sounds kind of odd, but I, I want you guys to dig in and kind of look at this a little bit deeper. And we're going to do the assessment, the scale of one to five, one being that this doesn't really affect me, five being like this is something that's extremely prevalent in my life. And, and the first one is this, is I feel the need to win every argument. Come on, guys, you know you like to win every argument, every argument with your spouse. It doesn't even matter if she's right or not. You just want the last word, don't you? Yeah, because that means you won in your mind. And so, we, you know, we have that in our lives. We, we think, man, I need to win every single argument. Another one is, is I lose my temper when tools, situations, and conversations don't go my way. You know, I, I found out that this is one I dealt with because my wife and I, after the outreach yesterday, we were going to grab some, some lunch. And she's like, hey, I heard about this, this restaurant that's, you know, that has really good fish sandwiches. And I was like, that's cool. Let's go, let's go to that place. She's like, I don't know exactly where it is. And, uh, and so we're driving around looking for this place. It's called Sands something. I don't know what it is. It's called Sands. I don't, that's all we knew about it is it had the word Sands in it. And it was somewhere near Atlantic Boulevard in, uh, in Pompano Beach. And so... For a guy, I don't know if, if any other guys can kind of give me an amen on this. Like, I like directions. I like to know where I'm going before I go there. I don't like to just drive around aimlessly in circles. I know that there's this perception that guys don't want to ask for directions. We don't know. We'll just drive around, whatever. I'm not like that at all. Like, I want to know where I'm going, where, how I'm going to get there, how long it's going to take me, what is the turn-by-turn -turn play. Thank you, iPhone, iOS 6, for giving me that now. I mean... You know, I want all of that. And so Shayla's like, I don't really know where it is, so we'll just kind of drive and look for it. And so we're driving around, and we see a couple of different places with the name Sands on it. And so now we're really in trouble because we have no idea which one it is. And we pull into a parking lot, we walk into one, and she's like, she's like, is there a place that there's fish? And they're like, it's back there. And so we walk back there, and I'm like, this doesn't look good. And we walk back out, we look at the next one, and all of a sudden, I get irate. <laughs> like, I'm like... I'm leaving right now. Get in the car. And, and we just got off and we left. And I took her to someplace where I knew it was good. You know, and I just, like, I realized that, man, I, I hate failing. I didn't like the idea that I didn't know exactly where I was going and how to get there and when I was going to get there and that everything was going to be great. And so instead of even giving it a shot of trying one of these random sands fish places, I just went to somewhere where I could control the situation. And so many times, that's what we do in life. If we have this idol of power in our lives, it's, it's, we get our sense of identity from this, and then we do in everything in our control to cover up that weakness. Cover up the, the idea that, man, we could possibly fail in life. And so I would rather not even try that fish sandwich that might be amazing, because I don't know, because it might be horrible. And Paul said this, he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 90, but he said, to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know, if, if 
this whole idol of power is something that you struggle with. It's not even about making mistakes in life because you, you don't want to cover up your mistakes. You're going to do everything in your power to make sure that you don't ever make one in your life. And so you'll hold back. You'll step back. You'll make sure that you don't want to fail at all. And so it isn't this fear of failure. It's this fear of just being shown that you don't have everything in control in your life. And I know that this is, this is something that's, that in studying for this, and, and this is the thing I hate about being a pastor, is every time I go to study for a message, I find out that I am so screwed up in life. I'm serious. I start looking at these things, and I'm like, I think I got these things down when I'm like, oh, everybody else deals with power. And then I start looking at these things, and I'm like, man, my life is so consumed by a lot of these things. They seem like they're on the outside that it's not something that I deal with, but on the inside, man, it's this internal, internal struggle. And I was thinking about this because about seven years ago, I, at the church I was at before, I, I'd, I'd done a bad message. And uh, if, if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably seen a couple of bad messages. Uh, but I, I remember this one weekend, I just really screwed up. Um, you know, when you, like everybody left and they're like, I don't ever want to go to church again. In fact, I might <laughs> slit my wrist and like... There is no hope. I mean, that's how good it was. And, uh, and, and I remember sitting down with my pastor, and he's like, TJ, I think you need a little bit of a break. And I'm like, I think I need a little bit of a break, too, from talking. And uh, because that was the worst junk that ever came out of my mouth in my entire life. And so he's like, why don't you take the next six months and, and just figure, you know, get, get, that, get that thing behind you. And I remember he came back to me six months later and he's like, man, I, I need you to speak next weekend. And I was like, you know what, I can't. And he's like, why not? And he's like, oh, I, just don't, I, I remember telling him and lying to him, saying, like, I don't feel comfortable talking about that. It was actually talking about lying. And, uh, and I was right there <laughs> lying to him. So maybe it was a good thing I didn't talk to him about it. And, uh, and he's like, okay. Three months later, he comes back and he says, hey, man, I, I need you to talk again. And I'm like, man, I can't. And it wasn't that I couldn't talk is that I was more afraid of failing again than I was in fulfilling the purpose and plan that God had for my life. I'd become so afraid of failure that I wouldn't walk out the purpose and plan that God had in my life because I wanted to control every single moment of that. And instead of, instead of becoming and doing the things that God wanted me to do, which, which comes in failing sometimes because that's where you grow, that's where you, you build yourself up, that's where you become the person that God's trying to make you become because you can't always be successful in life. I know that, that we think that, man, we become a Christian and everything is hunky-dory, it's rainbows and butterflies, nothing ever goes wrong. But the reality is, is man, part of the, the greatest growth in our lives comes in the times where the, there's the greatest friction. But yet, when we're consumed by this idol of, of, of power, we think, man, there's no way I can, I can fail. And so, therefore, we avoid all of that. And we risk missing out on the very things that God wants us to risk in. It's called faith. We miss out on opportunities to step out in faith because we're trying to control. Another area that... that uh, might reveal this, this idol of power in your life is this whole idea of refusing correction in life. And uh, a couple of things for you to, to assess yourself on is, is you get very upset when people don't specifically do things the way you want them to be done. In essence, a control freak. If you're a control freak, you might, you might have some issues here. 
Another one is, do you have a hard time following the rules other people establish? You always know a better way. This is a big one, man, because we all think we have a better way of doing things. We all think that, man, this way is better because it's my way. And, and instead of following the way that somebody sets out for us, man, we've got to go the opposite direction. The third thing there is when things go wrong, I tend to shift blame. You have a tendency to play the blame game in life. Nothing is ever your fault. It's always somebody else's deal. It's always somebody else's issue. And, and one of the sure ways to tell if this, this cancer of power has crept in your heart is, is your inability to take correction from other people. You have this increased power and you have this increased influence and you think, man, it, there's no way that anybody else could possibly give me some insight into where I'm going in life because I've got this thing figured out. And this, this whole power idol has this tendency to think that, you know what, there's no room for accountability in my life. There's no room for any of that because that would mean that somebody is equal to me and they know as much as I do. And what happens is, is when power creeps into our life, we, this thing called pride seems to, to pop out a lot. And it hides itself in this idea that, man, they're just proud. No, what they're really, what's really going on inside their lives is they're consumed by power. They're consumed by thinking, man, I've got I've to keep all this stuff on. And, and so you don't, you don't want to take correction from anybody. You want to take correction from your spouse. You don't want to take correction from a friend. You don't want to take correction from a family member. You don't want to take correction from a boss. You don't want to take correction from anybody because you think you know better. And the Bible talks so much about this. I mean, we could just read through the book of Proverbs and it would have tons of verses. But in Proverbs 15, 12, it says, a mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. Part of the reason that you, you don't consult the wise and you don't listen to those that are around you, because if you're honest, you don't think that there's anyone that has as much wisdom as you do. You've basically come to this point where you think, I have arrived. I know everything that there is in this area. And C.S. Lewis says this. He says, pride is a comparative sin. It's a comparative sin. And so, so what happens is, 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 is pride tells you, you know what, you're, you're, you're not rich, and so you got to get richer. You're not pretty enough, so you got to get prettier. You're not, you know, you're not uh, successful enough, so you got to become more and more successful because somebody else is there, and they're a little bit further ahead. And so you have to continually be comparing yourself to others, and you're continually trying to get yourself one up on an advantage to them, and it's continually pushing you, thinking that you have to see yourself as better and more deserving than everybody else based on what you can accomplish in life and what you can control. And, and power idols are deep, deep idols. There's something about them that makes them form in so many different ways. And so some of you might have this strong desire and, and to sleep with the, the opposite sex. And it's not because uh, you, you just want to sleep with them. It's because you want to be able to control something else to say, like, I can get that. It's not even about having the sex with them. It's just about the fact that you can say, like, listen, I, I, I got that. Some of you guys that are out there, man, you have to win every single argument that's out there, not because you're a seeker of truth, but because you want your voice to be the loudest. Some of you guys that are out there, you're, man, you're seeking leadership positions in, in your church or, or in your neighborhood or in your company, not because you have this desire to serve others, but you have this tendency to want to lord over people. And a lot of us have this deep fear of, of powerlessness and, and how we exert that on others is we try to control every single thing. And we deal with this in a lot of different ways. And it, man, it just messes up our lives. Man, why do we do that? Because I think that, you know, we chase after things that we think 
will give us our significance and our security and our worth and our value. And, and it's our human nature to try to fill the voids that are in our lives. But if we continually run to things that God only intended for him to fill and try to fill it with that, it will always leave us empty. And so, you know, this week I was trying to think, man, how do, how do I end this? How do I land the plane in this series? How do I, how do I get this to where, man, we wrap this up because, you know, power and acceptance and, and uh, approval and, and money and all these things, man, they are so being thrown at us all the time. And they're so easy just to fall into the traps of thinking, man, if I'm just that, or if I just acquire this, or if I just look this way, or if I just have this house or drive this car, or if that person is just my friend, then everything in life will be good. How do we break free of that? And, and, and right in the first week, we said, you know, we can't just remove an idol in life. We can't just take an idol and think, man, we're just going to uproot this thing because what's going to happen is something will grow right back up. And so we have to really replace these things. And so what I wanted to do today and is just go back to a, a couple of weeks ago. We, we told a story of a guy named um, Jacob. Um, do you guys remember that? You remember he, he had a, a wife that was ugly and he had a wife that was pretty? Did anybody remember that message? <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. I figured if I talked about ugly people, you're like, yeah, there's somebody that's uglier than me. I remember that, you know? So um, going back to this, you know, we, we were telling this story of, of Jacob in case you weren't here. And, and basically what happened is, is, is he and his brother, uh, they're born right at the same time. His brother was just a little bit older than him. His name was Esau. And uh, Jacob's life was, uh, was a life that there was this constant tension between he and his brother. His brother had his father's acceptance and, and he didn't. His brother got his, his, the inheritance from his family and he wasn't going to have that. And so what he did is he decided that he was going to deceive his brother to get the birthright of his family. And so when he did that, his brother was like, man, I'm going to kill you, fool. And so he moved and ran away, and, and he was really close with his mother. So he went, and he found his, his uncle Laban, who was his mother's brother. Um, and so he went, and he started working for him, and he realized that, man, he had a daughter named Rachel that was gorgeous and beautiful, and she had an older sister named Leah. And so he wanted to marry R Rachel, and so he worked for seven years, which was this incredible, incredible price to pay. And uh, what happened is, is at the end of that seven years, he's like, give me my wife. I want to sleep with her. That's exactly what he said. And so I didn't make that up. And so don't do that. And so he goes and, and he gets apparently trashed that night. And uh, he wakes up and he ends up marrying Leah instead. And he's like, whoa, what's up, dad? Um, you, you hooked me up with the ugly girl. I wanted the cute one. And uh, he's like, oh, that'll cost you another seven years. And he's so desperate for this love and affection that Leah can give him in his mind that he works another seven years. And, and so he eventually marries her. And over time, he becomes very successful. He's a great uh, cattle herder. He has sheep and, and, and goats and all these and ewes and all these different things. And, and so before long, his, his herd and his flock has outgrown his, his uncle Laban's. And so his uncle Laban, there's this tension there because, you know, his, his livestock is doing so much better than his uncle's. And so finally he's like, son, you got to go. And, um, and so he takes off and he's going back towards his land. Now, he ran away because his brother Esau was going to kill him because he stole his birthright. And he thought, man, I'm never going to see this person again. And so he's coming back and, and some of his servants are out ahead and they hear, hey, Esau's coming with about 400 dudes and uh, Jacob starts freaking out because this is the greatest fear in his life is that he's going to encounter 
his brother who he stole, you know, this, this birthright from, and he tricked him, and then he ran off. And so what he does is he says, man, you know what, I'm going to split up my, my family in half, and, and he sends a whole bunch of cattle and a whole bunch of uh, sheep and different things to his brother as kind of like a peace offering, kind of buy him off. You know, maybe he won't kill me if I give him a whole bunch of stuff whole thought. And so um, basically what happens is, 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 is he says, man, I'm going to separate myself from my family. I'm going to spend a night alone. And, and the Bible tells us, man, that these two brothers, they were always striving. Growing up, they were always competing. They were always competing for their father's affection. They were always competing for their father's honor. And, and, and this is what we've really been diving into throughout this whole series is this idea that, man, we are always looking for this needs of assurance from other people or other things to make us feel significant in life. And this is exactly where he's at. And in fact, Tim Keller said this about it. He said, Jacob's life had, had been one long wrestling match to get blessing he had wrestled in, with Esau to hear it from his father's lips. He had wrestled with Laban to find it in Rachel's face, but it hadn't worked. He was still needy and empty inside. And that's exactly where we find him. He's been searching for significance. He's been searching for worth. He's been searching for value. He tried to find it in his family's inheritance. He tried to find it in, in, in a, a woman. He tried to find it in, so, in, in success and in, in shepherding. And yet at the end of the day, there was nothing there. And now he's, he's going to face the one man who in his mind had kept him from his destiny. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 32, uh, verse 24 through 30. It says this, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And right here, what's happening in this story is, is Jacob is off alone, and all of a sudden he gets in this wrestling match with a guy that's there in the forest, and he realizes that this guy that he is wrestling with, because it's, it's in the dead of night, that this guy that he is wrestling with is God. And, and, he, and something, you know, if you're in a wrestling match with God, like that's probably not the fight you want to be in. You know, it's not a fight that you're going to win. And he realizes in the middle of this fight, that it's not really about the fight. It's not really, this fight wasn't about the fight that was happening. What was really happening is it was about him finding his purpose. It was about him finding his meaning. It was about him finding his destiny. And, and what's happening is, is the, this man is saying, listen, daybreak is about to come. You've got to let go of me. This is God telling Jacob this thing. You've got to let go of me because if you see my face, you're going to die. You're going to die if, if daybreak comes and you see who I am. Something is going to happen in your life. Now, if I knew that I was going to die, personally, I'm going to let go of that fool and I'm going to run away. That's just my thing. I'm, I'm taking off. But Jacob does something that's so out of character for himself. He does something that's so outside of himself. Instead of letting go and running away, he grabs hold of God and says, man, I am not going to let you go unless you bless me. And what, what is he's really saying there is he's saying, man, what an idiot, idiot I've been, man. I've been searching after all these things. I've been trying to find my significance in, 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 in uh, an inheritance. I've been trying to find my significance in a relationship. I've been trying to find my significance and my worth and success, success. And all of these things have left me feeling empty. But now that I've finally figured out what is the one thing that can give me meaning, what is the one thing that can give me value in life, there is no way in this world that I'm going to let go of this thing. Man, I would rather die than not walk away with your blessing, God. 
And so it continues on in verse 27. And it says, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And this is so significant because Jacob all of a sudden got honest with God because what Jacob's name means is it means deceiver. It means liar. See, throughout his entire life, all he had done is he had gone and he had tried to deceive people. He had tried to lie to people. He had tried to manipulate people. He had tried to do whatever he could do to get the thing that he thought he was looking for out of their hands that would give him value in his life. And for the very first time, he's going and he's saying, you know what? This, I realize who I am, that, that in and of myself, I am just jacked up and messed up. That this is who I am. I'm not, I'm not all these things that I'm trying to be. I'm not this, this powerful person. I'm not this great lover. I'm not this guy with this incre- incredible wealth. There is more to my life than this. He says, my name is Jacob, man. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver, man. I'm jacked up. I'm messed up. And it says, the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome He says, what's your name? What is it that you're looking to? What is it that you're trying to find your significance in? And God says to him, this is not who you are. And I want to tell you something today. What you've been told you are your whole life, who you are is not who you are. See, you've been told, man, you're ugly, you're fat, you're insignificant, you're powerless, you're worthless. And that might be what what everybody else sees. But God sees something completely different. He's saying saying to Jacob right here, man, you don't have to be petty. You don't have to be deceitful. You don't have to be any of the things that you used to be. Man, you don't have to look to power. You don't have to look to significant. You don't have to look to achievement. You don't have to look to approval. You don't have to do all the things that you're doing to win my heart. Because those things will always leave you empty in life. And he continues on, and and Jacob said to him, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. See, all the things that, that God had promised Jacob were delivered right there. But they weren't delivered based on what Jacob did do, could do in his life or what he could acquire in his life. They were based on the grace of God. And listen, if you don't hear anything else, this is what you need to know, is that your deepest desire will not come from the efforts of your hands, but it will only come from God's grace. It won't come from anything else. Jacob spent his entire life striving, wanting lying, manipulating, trying to earn, trying to get all of that stuff, yet ultimately he doesn't get any of that stuff that he's looking for through his own effort. He only gets it through the grace of God. And he only gets it when he finally lets go of all of those things and grabs hold of God. When he says, man, I'm going to surrender everything that I think is important and valuable, and I'm going to grab hold of God and I'm not going to let go. You know what? And for some of you today, you've been striving after things. You've been looking to things for your significance and worth. And you know what? Today, surrender might be your turning point as well. Surrender might be the thing that you need to do in order to embrace the purpose and the plan and the destiny that God has for your life. And 
And this has been something that isn't just in Jacob's life. Maybe you remember the story of, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says in, in uh, the book of Matthew, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell to his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And further on in, in verse 42, he says, Then he went a second time and prayed, My father, and if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. See those prayers, all, all of those prayers there are prayers of surrender. The prayers of saying, you know what? I've tried it my way. Listen, I can go after it my way. I can, I can, I can take control of this situation, but you know what? I realize that my control is not what you want from me. And instead of trying to grab hold of control, man, I'm going to grab hold of what you want to do in my life. You know, Jesus could have been like, man, I have the right to do whatever I want. But he said, I'm going to put down my rights. And I'm going to go after what you want. And I think that this is probably the most significant thing in Jesus' ministry. You know, we would look and we would say, man, well, the healing of the, of the, the deaf person was, was the greatest thing. Or him walking on water or, or you know, him feeding the 5,000. No, man, the greatest thing in the history of Jesus' ministry was when he died to himself. And he said, not what I want, but what you want, God. And I think that there's this life-changing, life-defining, ultimately consuming decision that will radically change our life when we, when we get to God and we say, you know what, God, I give up my life. And I just want what you want. God, I realize that, man, that there is a God, and I'm not him. But I want to do what you want to do. What do you need to say I need to give up today? Is it in a, a relationship that you're trying to control? Is it in a, a, a work situation where there's some tension there that you've been trying to, to manipulate and do your thing there? Is it an issue with your kids or your parents or a sibling? I don't know what it is. But will you surrender those things today? Will you say, God, not my will, but your will be done? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalms 46.10. And it says this, be still and know that I am God. And that word be still there means, it literally means to let go. Will you be still today and let go of your own understanding? Will you be still today and let go of your own human effort? Will you be still and let go of your desire for more power or more success or, or more approval? Will you be still and let go of, of the outcomes that you want to control and just be still before God? 
But most of all, will you be still and let go of that thing that is taking God's place in your heart? The thing that has become that idol that's in the number one spot. We let go of it today. Because this is what happens when we let go of it. We know that he is God because he does something in our heart. Let's pray. This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv.